Thank you for joining us for Financial News. Articles read for this weekly program are selected from financial publications, including Bloomberg News, Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, New York Times, The Washington Post, The Financial Times, and other publications. My name is Michael Amy. This article is posted to Bloomberg. The title, It's Too Soon for Stock Investors to Call Victory on Inflation. S&P 500 has rebounded 14% from October low on price slowdown. Put to call skew on the SPY ETF rises to highest since August. This was written by Jess Menton and Alina Papina and posted on February 12, 2023. Investors are paying up to protect themselves in case the stock market sinks with a key inflation reading due this week, which is expected to show that prices are not moderating the way the Federal Reserve would like to see. Tuesday's Consumer Price Index report is forecast to show a deceleration in annual price growth to 6.2% in January. The core CPI, which strips out volatile food and energy components and is seen as a better underlying indicator than the headline measure, is projected to rise 0.4% month over month and 5.5% from a year earlier. But a surprising rise in gas and used car prices last month may interrupt the months-long trend of decelerating inflation that spurred a 14% rebound in the S&P 500 from its low in October. Inflation has most likely peaked and now prices are on their way down. But that doesn't mean it's a linear way down, and that's okay Nancy Tengler, chief investment officer of Laffer Tengler Investments, said, Not surprisingly, trading sessions last year were turbulent when CPI data were released, with the S&P 500 falling on seven of the 12 reporting days. Over the past six months, the S&P 500 has seen an average move of about 2.6% in either direction on the day CPI has been released, near the highest since 2009, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. Traders still remember the Consumer Price Report on September 13th, which sent the S&P 500 plummeting 4.3% for its worst CPI session since March 2020. As long as the Fed is in a hawkish mode, volatility will remain firm, said Chris Murphy, co-head of derivatives strategy at Susquehanna International Group. So if CPI comes in higher than expected, the market will likely sell off, he said. But the stock market's relatively muted reaction to the past two months of better-than-expected CPI prints signals that U.S. equities may have already priced in slowing inflation, according to Bloomberg Intelligence. As a result, there may be fewer turbulent CPI days overall in 2023 if the data eases further. The reality, at least for now, is that investors shouldn't worry because any uptick in prices is expected to be temporary. The problem is investors have heard that before. If a strong labor market keeps wage growth elevated and prevents inflation from coming down as fast as policymakers want, the Fed may raise rates more aggressively or hold them higher for longer than the markets had been expecting. 
The market may react negatively to a hotter CPI, but that will provide an opportunity for longer-term investors to buy equities, said Tingler, noting that any pullback this quarter is an opportunity to buy. She added to the firm's equity exposure during sell-offs in the third and fourth quarter of 2022 and favors technology stocks like Apple over the next three to five years and is sticking with cybersecurity and cloud services. But skepticism remains among a large contingent on Wall Street. We've definitely seen more notable hedging recently among investors, Murphy said. Contracts protecting against a 10% decline in the largest exchange-traded fund tracking the S&P in the next 30 days currently cost 1.7 times more than options that profit from a 10% rally. Data compiled by Bloomberg shows the price relationship, known as put-to-call skew, is hovering at the highest level since August 2022 when a two-month rally in the 503-member index abruptly reversed. The tech-heavy NASDAQ 100 index, which has climbed 12% this year on dialed-back fears of an overly aggressive Fed, is coming off its first weekly loss in 2023 after a chorus of central bankers warned of restrictive policy for longer last week. Although fourth quarter earnings season has been better than feared thus far, some money managers worry that the worst is yet to come for company profits as the U.S. economy continues to slow or lapse into a recession. This has raised concerns about whether valuations for tech and so-called growth shares are too high after the S&P 500's rebound from its trough. We need to see the inflation data improve even further, said Stephanie Lang, chief investment officer at Homrich Berg, whose firm recommends being defensively positioned in favor of consumer staples and health care companies. It's premature to declare victory on the inflation battle and that a soft landing or rate cuts are a foregone conclusion, she said. Again, title of that, it's too soon for stock investors to call victory on inflation. This article is posted to Bloomberg. The title, Investors Brace for Risk Inflation Dooms Bonds to Bear Market. Surprise hot CPI print may extend the route triggered by jobs data. Rates traders place options bets that target 6% Fed policy peak. This was written by Michael McKenzie and Liz McCormick and posted on February 11th, 2023. Investors are bracing for key inflation data next week that could worsen the bond market route. January consumer prices are seen accelerating for the first time in three months, even as the annual inflation rate declines further. A Labor Department report Tuesday is expected to show. The reversal would come on the heels of blowout January jobs data that sent bonds tumbling since then. Afterward, Federal Reserve officials conveyed that the inflation battle is not over, and it may take a lot longer for the central bank to achieve price stability. It would also dash hopes that inflation would remain in a downward trend, a view that sparked a rally in Treasuries last month. 
There is a near-term risk that inflation does not fall as rapidly as the market is expecting, said Jimmy Chang, chief investment officer of Rockefeller Global Family Office. With some uptick in CPI anticipated, the danger remains that a larger rise in monthly measures would extend the sell-off in treasuries. Swaps traders have hoisted their outlook for the terminal fund rate to nearly 5.2%, slightly above the median forecast set by Fed officials at their December meeting. That compares to earlier in the month when bets showed the Fed would fail to get its policy rate even to 5%. Upping the ante, interest rate option activity this week has been spurred by traders betting on the central bank pushing beyond a peak forecast of 5% to 5.25% this year. They made in December as high as 6% is what they're projecting now. The pressure on central banks globally was underscored last week in Australia and Mexico, where stubborn inflation pressure sparked hawkish rate hikes and policy guidance. Fed Chair Jerome Powell also struck a wary tone, telling an audience in Washington this week, if we continue to get, for example, strong labor market reports or higher inflation reports, it may well be the case that we have to do more and raise rates more than is priced in. During another speech, Governor Christopher Waller said, I am prepared for a longer fight to get inflation down to our target. That kept the pressure on Treasuries, with the two-year yield climbing above 4.5%, its highest level since late November, and up from last week's low of 4.03%. The benchmark also rose some 0.86% above the 10-year yield, marking the deepest curve inversion seen for the cycle. It shows how the prospect of a more aggressive Fed path is expected to eventually stall the economy and bring inflation down, rewarding holders of long-dated treasuries. If people fail to see a continual improvement in CPI, then jobs matter even more, said Michael Kelly, global head of multi-asset Pinebridge Investments. CPI still does matter, and we have gasoline ticking up, used cars ticking up, and technical adjustments, he said. Kelly said a firming global economy and the recent U.S. payrolls data means overall it's very hard right now for the long end to make any more meaningful declines in yields. Barclays U.S. economist Pooja Sriram and her colleagues project that U.S. core inflation accelerated last month amid a still robust service sector and as goods inflation rebounded. On Friday, they raised their Fed funds forecast, seeing the terminal rate landing in a 5.25% to 5.5% range. The Fed's current range is 4.5% to 4.75%. On Friday, the University of Michigan's survey-based measures showed price expectations over the coming year rose to 4.2% from 3.9% but remained well below levels seen in the first half of last year. Powell and other Fed officials have stressed many times over the past year the importance of inflation expectations remaining anchored as consumers seeing higher prices down the road risk driving actual inflation levels upward. Even in a case where CPI behaves a little better, 
prospect of more persistent inflation pressures can not be ruled out given tight labor conditions that are seen sustaining firm wage growth. Sources of inflation comes from shortages such as we are seeing in labor at the moment, and wages will continue to grow, said Matt Smith, investment director at London-based Roofer LLP. Expectations embedded in the yields of 5- and 10-year Treasury inflation-protected securities rose to their highest levels since early December this week. Smith said Roofer is positioned for higher long-dated break-evens because they expect the Fed is unable to ultimately reduce inflation down to its price stability target of 2%. In addition to CPI data, a host of Fed officials are scheduled to speak up in upcoming weeks, including Fed Governor Michelle Bowman and New York Fed President John Williams. Again, the title of that, Investors Brace for Risk Inflation Dooms Bonds to Bear Market. That's posted to Bloomberg. This article is posted to Bloomberg. Title is America's post-pandemic corporate profit boom really is over. Profits dropped for first time since late 2020. Warnings rise. Opens disconnect with Fed-fueled rally in stocks this year. This was written by Bailey Lipschultz and posted on February 11th, 2023. Now that corporate America's earnings season is nearing an end, the takeaway is clear. A two-year run of swelling profits is over. With the bulk of quarterly reports in, the per-share earnings of the companies in the S&P 500 index were down 2.3% during the last three months of 2022, the first decline since the third quarter of 2020, according to a report compiled by Bloomberg Intelligence. Also notable... While most companies were still able to beat analysts' forecasts, the share of those delivering negative surprises rose to the highest since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, and profit margins are shrinking, squeezed by inflation and an economic outlook that's eroded the ability to pass on costs by raising prices. The reports have underscored the wide disconnect between the weakening fundamentals and a stock market that's rallied for much of this year on speculation that the Federal Reserve may be able to slow inflation without derailing the economy. That focus on what's ahead led stock investors to largely ignore disappointing results from some of the market's biggest companies, such as Apple and Alphabet, while piling into stocks that topped expectations, like DuPont de Nemours, Incorporated, The lagged impacts of tighter monetary policy and fiscal policy are driving slowing sales growth. But we're also looking past it to some extent, said Brad Newman, Director of Market Strategy at Alger. To be successful in near-term investing, you have to be investing in companies that are going to have fundamental resilience in a difficult earnings environment. Here are some of the key things we learned from fourth quarter results. Tech earnings misses. The biggest technology companies are feeling the effects of slowing demand and a weaker digital advertising market. Collectively, meta platforms, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Alphabet missed consensus earnings estimates by 8%, according to Bank of America Corp. strategist Savita Subramanian, 
who attributed it to economic shifts now that the last of the pandemic-era stimulus is firmly behind us. Even so, most of the big tech stocks have rallied amid rising expectations for a soft economic landing, optimism on China's reopening, and an investor rotation back into stocks that were hit the hardest last year. While the job market has remained surprisingly resilient in the face of the Fed's rate hikes, many companies are moving rapidly to cut their workforces in anticipation of a deeper slowdown. Among them were Meta, Zoom Video Communications, and Walt Disney Company, which saw their stocks gain on the cost-cutting. That's what investors have been clamoring for, and there's no better example than Meta, said Algiers Newman. Companies are listening to investors after a year-plus of investors saying they need to stop spending and that they prefer to invest in companies that have more near-term profits. However, not all job cuts were well-received as companies including News Corp, Dell Technologies, and Match Group stumbled on the news with sales underwhelming. Economic slowdown is showing up. The shakeout from the Fed's steadfast efforts to tame inflation showed up across earnings. Apple, for example, reported its worst holiday results in years as consumers around the world slowed their spending on things like mobile devices and computers. Overall, sales growth for the S&P 500 companies slowed to 5.5% during the last three months of the year, less than half the pace of the previous three months, and the slowest since the end of 2020, data compiled by BI shows. Companies from Whirlpool Corp. to Tyson Foods said that while the fallout from higher inflation and increased interest rates will impact expectations over coming months, things will improve in the back half of the year. Margin pressures linger. Margins have remained under pressure across industries with companies forced to grapple with a tighter labor supply and waning pricing power. Among non-financial firms, adjusted operating margins fell to 14.3%, the lowest quarterly margin in two years, down from 14.9% in the third quarter, according to Wells Fargo. Overall, operating margins topped expectations by the least in more than a year, with the majority of S&P 500 firms falling short. BI data shows... Even with a flurry of job cuts across big tech, weaker demand paired with negative operating leverage suggests more margin pressure ahead, according to the Bank of America's Subramanian. Again, title of that, America's post-pandemic corporate profit boom really is over, as posted to Bloomberg. This article is posted to Forbes. Viewership is falling, rates are rising, yet advertisers still flock to the Super Bowl. This was posted on February 12, 2023. It was written by Jabari Young. Return on investment is only one metric that companies consider when they decide to spend millions for a 30-second spot during the big game. The number of Americans who watched the Super Bowl on TV last year fell 13% from the peak in 2015, but the average cost of a 30-second advertising spot just kept climbing. This year, the retail price is a record $7 million. 
For Stacy Taffet, Vice President of Brand Marketing for PepsiCo's Frito-Lay, there's a limit to what she's willing to pay to run a Doritos commercial. But I don't know what it is, she told Forbes. We haven't gotten to it yet. For roughly four hours on a given Sunday every February, the time-tested rules of sound economics slide down the corporate priority list and the level-headed decision-making processes of marketing departments are tempered by the fear of missing out. It doesn't matter if a company has to eat cold beans the rest of the year. The Super Bowl is the prom. Everybody wants to go. It's something you look forward to all year, Taffet said. That doesn't mean everybody should go. Deep pockets are strongly recommended. Forbes, with the help of analytics firm Cantar Group and Nielsen, has collected data for every Super Bowl since the beginning, which was 1967, before the name Super Bowl was even coined. And the ad rate has fallen year over year just four times in 57 years. The last instance was 2007, when the Colts beat the Bears. That's right, children, the Bears played in the Super Bowl. (laughs) In 1993, the average rate for a 30-second commercial, adjusted for inflation, was $850,000. By 2016, it was $5.4 million. One arcane figure that accurately measures the growing cost against the declining audience is the number of Super Bowl TV viewers that advertisers reach per dollar spent. In other words, how many sets of eyeballs do the ads buy? Thirty years ago, in 1993, when the Cowboys beat the Bills, a single ad dollar, adjusted for inflation, paid to reach 52 people. In 2022, the same dollar bought 15 viewers. The NFL and Fox Sports declined to comment for this story. Some of the reason for ad rate rising, despite the erosion in value, according to Peter Daybol, Chief Strategy and Insights Officer at iSpot, which measures the effectiveness of TV ads, has been the effectiveness of TV ads or image advertising, at least on an emotional level. If that adorable little shelter puppy hadn't made friends with the Budweiser Clydesdales, putting a lump in the throat of many a macho NFL fan, maybe the ad rate wouldn't have jumped 16% between 2021 and 2022. In the context of persistent puppies and empathetic horses, it seems almost ridiculous to talk about an advertiser return on investment, or ROI. For some companies, it matters. For others, vanity packs a stronger magnetic force. But on Monday morning, after the last Did You See Our Super Bowl ad? phone call ends, the numbers tell the tale. For an established brand like Pepsi, which uses the occasion as a launching pad for new products, the traditional measures of unit sales will determine ROI According to Jenny Danzi, Senior Director of Pepsi Brands, automakers track things like website visits, Dable told Forbes, and relative newcomers to the world's biggest economy, such as Japan-based cashback marketing firm Rakuten, will monitor website signups and customer retention, according to Chief Marketing Officer Dana Marino. Rakuten, which said it enjoys 98% brand awareness in Asia, 
used last year's Super Bowl to more or less introduce itself to North American shoppers, Marino told Forbes. Rakuten had bought U.S. website Ebates for a billion dollars in 2014 and rebranded the site to its name. The decision to spend ad money on the big game was not hasty. Marinu said she started pitching billionaire CEO Hiroshi Mikitani in May of 2021. Its February 2022 Super Bowl ad resulted in a sales increase over the next two quarters, a jump in brand awareness, and an uptick in customers renewing their accounts, she said. Flush with that success, Rakuten is returning this year with a commercial that features characters from the movie Clueless. What worked out well for Rakuten, however, didn't deliver any mojo for cryptocurrency exchange FTX, which advertised during last year's big game as a way of saying, hey, we're big, we've arrived. FTX's collapse since then wasn't the result of its lavish spending on advertising on the only day of the year when a sizable chunk of the population tunes in just to see the commercials. It simply meant that when FTX imploded in scandal and bankruptcy, a lot more people had heard of them. Fox Sports said no cryptocurrency-related companies will be advertising this year. Even without them, the ad spots are sold out. Prices vary. Rakuten's Marino said she took advantage of a bargain that Fox Sports was offering. Sign up for a spot in June and get a discount on ad time. The cashback company got cash back. The $7 million average figure makes Marino giggle. Not what we paid, she said, not even close. If Rakuten had to shell out the full freight of 6 to $7 million for 30 seconds, Marino said that would not be money well spent. That's not thoughtful, sophisticated media and marketing planning, she said. Thoughtful? Sophisticated? This is the Super Bowl we're talking about here. As former CBS Sports President Neil Pilson put it, there's no other way to reach so many sets of eyeballs. And even if 15 viewers per ad dollar spent is historically low, that's just one consideration in a company's decision whether to dance at America's prom. The number crunchers, Pilsen told Forbes, they don't make these decisions. They just provide the information. It's your leaders in the industry who decide whether it's worth it or not. People say the numbers don't support it. The leader of the company says, yeah, but I was on the Super Bowl and you weren't. Yeah, the title of that viewership is falling. Rates are rising, yet advertisers still flock to the Super Bowl. That's posted to Forbes. This article is posted to Fortune. Title is, A Top Fed Official Just Compared Speculative Crypto to Baseball Cards and Had a Stark Warning for Owners, Don't Expect Taxpayers to Socialize Your Losses. This was written by Will Daniel, posted on February 10th. It's been a rough 18 months for many cryptocurrency investors, but Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller says they should have seen it coming. If you buy crypto assets and the price goes to zero at some point, please don't be surprised, Waller said in a Friday speech at a global interdependence center conference in San Diego, and don't expect taxpayers to socialize your losses. 
After the crypto winter helped spark bankruptcies across the industry and slashed the price of the world's leading digital asset, Bitcoin, by 64% in 2022, crypto prices have rebounded this year. Bitcoin is now up over 30% year-to-date, and some believe that the run will continue. Kathy Wood, CEO of ARK Invest, argues that Bitcoin will be a source of stability for people in countries battling inflation, economic crises, and political instability. Where do these people go for an insurance policy against an implosion in their purchasing power and wealth? It is in something like Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an insurance policy, Wood told Bloomberg last week, adding that she expects increased Bitcoin adoption will lead the cryptocurrency's price to a million dollars by 2030. But the Fed, Waller, views cryptocurrencies in a different light, arguing on Friday that they don't have any intrinsic value and amount to nothing more than risky speculation, like a baseball card. To me, a crypto asset is nothing more than a speculative asset, he said. If people believe others will buy it from them in the future at a positive price, then it will trade at a positive price today. If not, its price will go to zero. If people want to hold such an asset, then go for it. I wouldn't do it, but I don't collect baseball cards either. Under Chair Gary Gensler, who once called the crypto industry the Wild West, the Securities and Exchange Commission has been cracking down on crypto companies that violate U.S. regulations or offer products that aren't registered properly. On Thursday, Gensler reached a $30 million settlement with the crypto exchange Kraken over its staking feature that offered users rewards for locking up their crypto to validate proof-of-stake blockchains. And on Friday, he doubled down on his plans to increase regulation in the crypto sector. This is largely a non-compliant field, and they're commingling customers' funds with their businesses, he told Bloomberg of crypto exchanges that offer staking services. We don't let the New York Stock Exchange also run a hedge fund and trade on the exchange. Why would we do it here? Adding to the pressure on the crypto industry, Fed Governor Waller sent a warning in his Friday speech to banks that are looking to jump into cryptocurrencies, saying that he was concerned this could present a heightened risk of fraud and scams, legal uncertainties, and the prevalence of inaccurate and misleading financial disclosures. I don't care if people take on risky investments or engage in risky business ventures. Banks and other financial intermediaries must engage in any activity they do in a safe and sound manner, he said. A bank engaging with crypto customers would have to be very clear about the customer's business models, risk management systems, and corporate governance structures to ensure the bank is not left holding the bag if there is a crypto meltdown. Despite Waller's warnings about the risks of cryptocurrencies and even potential for spillovers into the financial system amid a meltdown, the Fed governor doesn't believe the whole crypto industry is without merit. He argued that distributed ledger technology, which forms the base of cryptocurrencies' blockchains, could be useful for a wide range of data management systems and smart contracts, a type of transaction protocol that runs on the blockchain, could be used to speed up securities transactions in the stock market. 
While it's critical that we ensure that the financial stability risks associated with crypto assets are mitigated, it's important that we keep the various parts of the crypto ecosystem distinct in our minds as the debate about if and how to regulate crypto rolls on, he said. Doing so will ensure that we do not unduly limit the development and potential future uses of the positive features of the crypto ecosystem. Again, that's in Fortune. The title is A Top Fed Official Just Compared Speculative Crypto to Baseball Cards and Had a Stark Warning for Owners. Don't expect taxpayers to socialize your losses. You're listening to Financial News, a weekly program with a focus on personal finance, retirement and estate planning, and the global economy. My name is Michael Amy. This article is posted to the New York Times. The title, IRS tells millions who receive state rebates don't file just yet. Tax season is underway, but the Internal Revenue Service is still figuring out whether taxpayers who received rebates last year should count them as taxable income. This story, written by Tara Siegel-Bernard, was posted on February 9, 2023. If you're one of the millions of taxpayers who received a one-time tax payment from your state last year, the Internal Revenue Service has some advice. Hold off on filing your federal income tax return. Even though tax season started on January 23rd, the IRS is still determining whether the payments sent last year to taxpayers in nearly two dozen states as a way to provide relief from spiraling inflation should be treated as taxable income on their federal returns. Late last week, the IRS said it was working with state tax officials and expected to provide more guidance for as many states and taxpayers as possible this week. There are a variety of state programs that distributed these payments in 2022, and the rules surrounding them are complex, the IRS said in a statement. For taxpayers uncertain about the taxability of their state payments, the IRS recommends they wait until additional guidance is available or consult with a reputable tax professional. It's an arduous task for the IRS to untangle what is federally taxable because each state that sent checks to residents in 2022 classified those payments in its own way and had different eligibility requirements and varying reasons for doing so. In California alone, nearly 17 million taxpayers received a one-time middle-class tax refund, quote-unquote, of up to $1,050 for relief against rising prices. The payments do not need to be claimed as income on California state income tax returns, according to a spokesman for California's Franchise Tax Board. In South Carolina, the payments, also called rebates, were based on taxpayers' 2021 tax liability. Various tax policy groups are also doing their own calculations of how many states could be affected based on their readings of the payments and how they define the term rebate. The Tax Policy Center, a nonprofit research group, counts 18 states that sent one-time income tax rebates in 2022. Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Maine, Massachusetts, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, 
Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Virginia. But according to a list compiled by the Tax Foundation, a nonprofit tax policy group, 22 states may be affected. It also includes Minnesota's rebate, which went only to its frontline workers, a small portion of the population. These special payments have caused confusion because the IRS must sort through each state's program to determine their taxability. For example, disaster relief payments are not taxable, which is why stimulus payments sent out during the coronavirus pandemic were not treated as income, said Jared Walzak, vice president of state projects at the Tax Foundation. Social benefit programs that help low-income households are also generally not considered taxable income. But the states generally characterized last year's payments to taxpayers as inflation relief, and in other cases they sent the money because they had state surpluses, tax experts said. Ultimately, it's the IRS's job to determine what the true function is, Mr. Walzak said. It may be all taxable or not taxable in some states, while in other states, taxability may differ based on whether a taxpayer itemized or took the standard deduction. TurboTax, the giant online tax preparation service, has made a determination of its own based on currently available information and its own expertise. It said it believed that the payments were not taxable at the federal or state level, and it has not dissuaded its customers from filing. We're providing guidance to our customers and are hopeful for additional clarification in the near future, said Lisa Green-Lewis, an accountant and tax expert with TurboTax. But many other tax preparers across the country are frustrated that the guidance wasn't sorted out before the tax season opened. Dan Heron, an accountant and financial planner in San Luis Obispo, California, said he had held back on filing for taxpayers who received the middle tax tax credit in their state, given all of the confusion. It's so frustrating considering these kinds of payments have been sent out during 2022, yet the IRS didn't worry about it until now, he said in an email. Clients express their frustration to us, which makes us frustrated with the IRS. It's not a fun situation to be in, he said. Again, the title of that, the IRS tells millions who received state rebates don't file just yet. This article is posted to Forbes. Title is SEC reportedly probes Mormon Church over $100 billion investment portfolio allegedly saved for, quote, second coming of Christ, end quote. This story was written by Brian Bouchard and posted on February 10th, 2023. Top line, the Securities Exchange Commission is investigating the Mormon Church over allegations it failed to disclose investments in a secretive $100 billion portfolio. The Wall Street Journal reported Friday, years after the church was accused of skirting tax rules and deceiving donors to build up a fund one leader purportedly suggested could be used in the, quote, second coming of Christ, end quote. Here are some key facts. The SEC's probe, which the journal reports had reached an advanced stage, 
specifically looks into whether an investment arm of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints called Ensign Peak Advisors broke the SEC's requirement that large portfolio managers disclose certain holdings. Sources close to the matter told the journal the investigation is likely to lead to a settlement. The church did not respond to a Forbes inquiry for comment, although the church had previously said the investment portfolio was intended as a rainy day account. Key Background Investigation comes just over three years after whistleblower David Nielsen, a member of the church and former Ensign Peak Investment Manager, tipped the Internal Revenue Service that the firm had amassed $100 billion in a little-known charitable fund it collected from donations. None of that money had been spent for 20 years, according to Nielsen, who filed a complaint to the IRS in November 2019 in an attempt to strip Ensign of its tax exemption status as a branch of a religious organization because the church hadn't used the money on charitable works. Nielsen said the firm's leader had instead suggested to staff that the church intended to keep the money for the second coming of Christ, which, according to Mormon teachings, will be marked by war. The head of Ensign Park told the journal his comments were misinterpreted. The church denied any tax violations in interviews with the Wall Street Journal. Nielsen had also sent a memorandum to the Senate Finance Committee last month alleging Ensign Peak had made false statements about its fund asking for oversight. The Mormon Church and Ensign Peak said they were willing to work with officials, but that the allegations appear to be dated. This article is posted to the New York Times. The title, Why Are You Seeing So Many Bad Digital Ads Now? Scrolling past ads has rarely been enjoyable, but in recent months, people say the experience seems so much worse. This was written by Tiffany Tzu and posted on February 11th, 2023. Portia Capron has always seen unwelcome ads on Twitter, usually from major brands pitching her luxury jewelry or vehicles that she, as a librarian in Indiana, could not afford. But the mix now is far more annoying. More ads for random gold investments, she said, and also a badly designed ad for what looked like a tabletop foosball set constructed with rubber bands and particle board, which promised its product would be the most fun family game she had ever played. Miss Capron was not interested, but she soon saw the ad again and again and again. I don't know who they think I am, but that did not look especially fun, she said of the foosball set. These feel like bargain basement advertisers. It mostly seemed like things you would see if you were watching late-night television. In a shaky advertising market and an uncertain economy, ads that few people want to see suddenly seem to be everywhere. Recent ads on Twitter, as described by users, have made the platform feel like a tabloid magazine or the haunting ground of Ron Popeil, the inventor of wares people didn't know they needed, including the Vegematic the Ronco Electric Food Dehydrator, and the Inside the Egg Shell Scrambler. There were ads for T-shirts printed with a horse's head superimposed on a heartbeat line, served to someone who does not ride horses nor particularly like them. 
Also, fraudulent ads for discount drones, spots hawking crude gaming apps, and promoted posts from people ranting about puppet masters and the slave mind. On Instagram, ads from Amazon promote unrecognizable contraptions from obscure merchants, echoing the shopping site Wish, which was notorious for bizarre ads. On YouTube, ads impersonate popular video creators to scam viewers, a phenomenon that has irked Elon Musk and that YouTube says it is addressing. Advancements in digital advertising technology were meant to improve users' experiences. People interested in shoes are intended to get ads for sneakers and loafers and not repeated pitches for courses teaching seduction techniques. And the technology is supposed to filter out misleading or dangerous pitches. But lately, on several platforms, the opposite seems to be happening for a variety of reasons, including a slowdown in the overall digital ad market, as numerous deep-pocketed marketers have pulled back and the softer market has led several digital platforms to lower their ad pricing, opportunities have opened up for less exacting advertisers. Anytime you lower the barrier to entry, you're going to get lower quality entrance, said Jessica Fong, an assistant marketing professor at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. In the past, buying a newspaper or television ad usually involved calling up a representative who would manually review and place the ad. Now, more than 90% of spending on digital display ads happens through automated software. Social media offers many ad formats, static text, videos, playable games, messaging, brand takeovers, custom filters, and most are getting easier to buy. Many advertisers can now go online and set the budget for how much they are willing to bid through a platform's automated auction for a spot that reaches their target audience. Evidence of a junk ad epidemic is anecdotal. Tech platforms rarely reveal data on who advertises with them and how often. Also, quality is in the eye of the beholder. Plenty of people willingly click on male enhancement ads, and ads are sometimes most successful when they're eye-catchingly terrible. Social media platforms have said they have established rigorous advertising policies to safeguard standards and continue to attract first-rate ads from blue-chip companies. But advertising experts agree that crummy ads, some just irritating, others malicious, appear to be proliferating. They point to a variety of potential causes, internal turmoil at tech companies, weak content moderation, and higher-tier advertisers exploring alternatives. In addition, privacy changes by Apple and other tech companies have affected the availability of users' data and advertisers' ability to track it to better tailor their ads. And then there's the economy. A survey of 43 multinational companies representing more than $44 billion in advertising spending conducted last fall by the World Federation of Advertisers found that nearly 30% plan to shrink their marketing budgets this year. Clorox, which budgets hundreds of millions of dollars a year to advertising and promoting products like Burt's Bees Lotions, Brita Filters, and Pine Sol Cleaners, 
said this month that it was beginning to streamline its marketing, which included cutting back on spending. Digital ad spending, while still growing overall, has decelerated precipitously, according to an analysis last month by the research firm Insider Intelligence. Twitter seems to be faring the worst. The company has struggled to retain top-flight advertisers since Mr. Musk took over as owner in October amid fears of a proliferation of hate speech and misinformation on the platform. Its 10 largest advertisers last year spent 55% less during Mr. Musk's tenure than they did a year earlier, with six of them spending nothing so far in 2023, according to estimates from the research firm Sensor Tower. Twitter has offered to buy one, get one free deals, discounts, bonus incentives to lure back advertisers, media buyers said. But advertising troubles have hit the biggest publicly traded social networks, too. Snapchat's parent company last month posted its slowest ever rate of quarterly growth and projected a sales drop for the current quarter. Google's parent company Alphabet said ad sales at YouTube slipped nearly 8% in the latest quarter. Last year, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, reported its first decline ever in quarterly revenue, fell again last quarter. Ad prices on Facebook and Instagram fell 24% in the last quarter of 2022 from a year earlier, according to the investment bank Piper Sandler. Shareholder pressure, stoked by years of big profits, continues to push those companies to generate revenue wherever possible, including, experts said, through selling low-quality ads. Corey Richardson, vice president at the multicultural ad agency Fluent360 in Chicago, said he was seeing more ads for items in which he had no interest, Hawaiian shirts featuring Star Wars characters, a fountain shaped like hands folded in the prayer position, all mixed in with vaccine misinformation and the occasional video depicting violence. They're just taking whatever money comes, Beggars can't be choosers, Mr. Richardson said. Twitter did not respond to a request for comment. Meta declined to comment. YouTube said it invested significantly in ad quality and consumer experience. Other factors are also contributing to lower ad quality, Mr. Richardson said. Social media advertising, once a niche art practiced by specialist agencies, is now easily available to anyone. Many of them are eschewing targeted ads, placements intended to reach specific audiences, usually at a higher cost, in favor of a cheaper spray-and-pray approach online, hoping to catch the attention of gullible or bored shoppers. Major social media platforms are now like the mall in your hometown that used to be the good mall. Mr. Richardson said, but now there's no longer a Macy's there. It's just a calendar store and a place selling beepers. <laughs> the ads are also increasingly inescapable. Twitter recently revoked free access for third-party services like Tweetbot and Twitterific, which helped many users avoid unwanted ads. A project that blocked YouTube ads was forced to shut down in March, Months later, YouTube said it concluded a small experiment that tried to reduce ad breaks by moving more ads into fewer interruptions. 
sometimes showing viewers as many as 10 unskippable ads in a row. In the fall, a survey by Insider Intelligence found that 52% of Facebook users reported seeing more ads on the platform compared with nearly half of YouTube and Instagram users. Meta allows users to personalize their ad experience, changing their preferences when they see an ad they are uninterested in. The company has also said it does not approve ads about subjects like climate change that its fact-checking partners have categorized as false, and it takes down ads that violate its policies. In the past year, researchers and journalists on Facebook have discovered ads for dangerous or illegal dietary supplements. Dozens of since-removed ads showing photoshopped images of the Australian Prime Minister that linked to investment scams and allegedly misleading advertising timed to the COP27 Climate Summit. After being contacted by the New York Times, Meta took down Instagram ads that ply cancer patients with polished pseudoscience, promoting vague but expensive alternative treatments. YouTube said it prohibited ads that impersonate businesses, swindle users, or employ clickbait tactics. The company said it blocked or removed more than 3.4 billion ads and suspended more than 5.6 million advertiser accounts in 2021. Though there are always bad actors looking to bypass enforcement systems across all tech platforms, we remain vigilant in trying to identify and remove them as quickly as we can, YouTube said in a statement. Beyond social platforms, bad ads appear elsewhere on the Internet, but streaming services and news websites tend to have stricter advertising guidelines and more limited and expensive ad space, which makes ads easier to regulate. Some publishers, like Bloomberg Media, are starting to avoid third-party brokers and automated auctions of ad space, which deal with enormous volumes and are more likely to miss low-quality ads. Social media is a far easier target for the small but motivated group of anti-vaccine advertisers studied by David Brintowski, who helps run the Institute for Data, Democracy, and Politics at George Washington University. Their ads are designed to evade very brittle moderation algorithms by spacing out the letters of banned keywords or replacing them with emojis, he said. They will use whatever means necessary to get their message out there, he said. Ads are simply one tool in the toolbox. Again, the title of that article in the New York Times, Why Are You Seeing So Many Bad Digital Ads Now? Thank you for joining us today for Financial News. My name is Michael Amy.